Welcome to season two of Hashing Out the Law, the podcast where we discuss and hash out legal issues and or topics. I'm your host, Ayesh Hashemi. On this episode, my guest is Lisa Lockwood. She and I discuss her career, including the years she spent in law enforcement. We also discuss current events and the police backlash from a law enforcement point of view. Enjoy. Hi, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Hashing Out the Law. On this episode, I'm very excited to have a special guest, Lisa Lockwood. Hi, Lisa. How are you? Hi, Raj. I'm great. Thank you. Thank you for being on. This is very exciting, actually. Um, Lisa, you are a SWAT officer, uh, Air Force veteran, an author, um, amongst one of the um, many titles that you have. Um, so I, I wanted to talk about a little bit about your background and everything like that. So, um, you actually tell me, uh, you started out and you were a model as well, right? I what? competed in East Illinois, USA. Okay. So, I so don't know means I'm a model. <laughs> so, so, um, tell us a little bit about your, your background, meaning the, the chronology and how, you, you know, what came first, SWAT, Air Force? Just tell us a little bit about that, please. Sure. sure. When, I, when I graduated high school, it was trying to figure out what I'm going to do with my life. And I love drama. I love acting. Even in my high school yearbook, I put in there that, oh, I want to go to Hollywood and become an actress, maybe in soap operas or something. And without my knowledge, my mother entered me in the Miss Illinois USA pageant. And I got a phone call one day saying that I was accepted to compete didn't even know how. And then I found out that she did that for me because we were a family of seven children and we were on welfare and I didn't know how I was going to pay for college. I just knew that I loved school. So even out of the seven children my parents had, only two graduated high school and the rest were dropouts and three were teenage moms. So I knew my mom says, this is my kid that loves school. So I really want to figure something out for her. She did that. I competed, did the best that I could. Um, placed 25th out of 205 girls and I said okay I'm not gonna get a scholarship and was going to community college and that's when I discovered the military actually pays for your college they have a GI Bill they have a veterans grant and I came home and told my mom I said I really want to go to college and do the full-time thing and I want to join the military and she almost had a heart attack so you know no parent wants their child to go to war it's the first thing she said so I joined. I joined the military and had an incredible four years in the Air Force as an equipment operator. I also, besides driving trucks and tractor trailers and buses, I also did dignitary support. So I drove generals and secretary of defense for the United States. It was great. I, I had an incredible four years and I was named Airman of the Year. But the biggest get for me, I was so excited. Not only did it teach me accountability and patriotism, um, I love the fact that now I'm going to have my college paid for. So that was the beginning for everything. That's awesome. So yeah. uh, you, you did your four years. You, did you, uh, according to your bio, you did a tour in Iraq, didn't you, during the, 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 the I, I was, storm? I was in Desert Storm, and I was actually in Saudi Arabia for, for my 90 days that I was there. And I, my, my, um, what they called my mission was Operation Desert Cleanup. So I served stateside Desert Storm, and then was over there for Desert Cleanup. 
And uh, not that it was any less dangerous because they ended up blowing up the base right before I became a police officer. So um, that was incredible. Another just learning about the culture, learning about how different it was and um, how in the United States, you know, the privileges that we have here that, um, you know, were different. So. Right. Yeah, actually, um, I am from the Mideast and I wasn't born here. So I understand exactly what you mean. It's a different world. And people who, who haven't experienced it don't understand the difference and can't appreciate what we have here. Yes. Yeah. Very grateful for that. Yes. Uh, but so, definitely learning. And then you said the base got blown up right before you became an officer. So I'm assuming after your tour was done, yes. or your service was done, you became a police officer. Tell us a little bit about that. Sure. So I still didn't know. Now I left the Air Force. I'm going to college. And I'm like, what am I going to do with my life? I don't want to. I needed to work while I go to school. And I already at the time. And I was like, what do I do? So I took a job doing private security for an office building because it was great with the hours for going to school. So I'm back in uniform again. I'm like, I'm used to this after the military. And while I was there, I decided to take one criminal justice class. That led to a second one. And I still wasn't thinking, I was like, why am I being pulled in that direction? So I did an internship with the Chicago Police Department. And after I did the internship, I was driving around with the tactical unit. I was in the backseat of the car. It was unmarked. They were undercover tactical and they responded to a drive-by shooting. So when I got there, they said, stay in the car. They made sure that I was safe. They got outside and there was a man shot, bleeding, dying. And when they secured the scene and did everything that they did and I saw the cavalry come in, that was a moment, a defining moment for me where I said, I want to do this job. I, I want to do it. I can do it. I want to make a difference. And that was the pursuit of my police adventure. I became a 911 dispatcher first because when I made that decision, they weren't hiring. So I said, what a great way to learn the ropes because you learn all the codes, you police jargon and how the officers are responding to calls. So for a year and a half, I was a 911 dispatcher before I became a police officer. And then you became a police officer, worked your way up and you eventually were part of the SWAT team, correct? Yes. So... I, um, I, I used to train with the SWAT team while I was a dispatcher. So they were looking for a role player and the commander of the SWAT team knew I was in the military. He said, hey, you know, I can't pay you, but you know, if you wanna come out and see how SWAT trains, we need role players. And I was the victim of domestic violence. You know, I was the crack addict in the house. So they had all of these different scenarios set up where SWAT would come and storm the doors. And yeah. I would see, I got to do my acting that I wanted to do in <laughs> high school. So that was kind of a, a segue into that. I never thought that, oh, I want to be on the SWAT team because frankly, it did scare me. All of the equipment that they used, all of the different firearms. So as a new police officer, seeing that, I thought these guys are the real deal. And I was very intimidated. Um, and then if you were really intimidated, what makes, made you get over your fear and, and eventually decide that this is what I want to do? So after, you know, as a rookie police officer, I was on midnight shift and I started to develop some bravery. We were single person units. So I was in my own squad with no partner, strumming up my own police business, stopping people, talking to people on the street, responding to domestic calls and bar fights and, you know, burglaries and holdups. So with that, I started to obviously build some courage along the way on the job in responding to those calls. Then I became a firearms instructor. 
So once I became a firearms instructor and then I became an expert and then finally a master marksman, I went to school for firearms training, then a position opened on SWAT and I said, oh my gosh, you know, this, this is the chance. Once guys get on SWAT, they don't leave. You know, they retire, they want to stay as long as possible because the, tra the training is so elite and you become part of this incredible boys club. And there weren't any men on the team. I went ahead and I looked at the general orders in the police department to find out if women are even permitted to, to be a, a part of the team. And there was nothing in there that, you know, was based on gender or discrimination as long as you can do everything that you're required to. Pass the physical agility, have uh, great skills uh, as far as your marksmanship. And then also I was a proactive police officer. So in those two years, I had accumulated some, some great arrests, felony arrests, and I was a go-getter. So I was, I was selected. Were you the first female on the SWAT team? Yes. That's awesome. That's Thank awesome. Thank you. And you wrote a book about all, all these experiences and it's called Undercover Angel from Beauty Queen to SWAT Team, right? Yes. <laughs> that's, that's yeah, kind of a funny, it's a funny title, Rosh, and sometimes, I mean, I, I blush when I hear it, even to this day when I wrote it, because the editor chose the subtitle. Undercover Angel chose because of a joke when I was an undercover detective. My commander's name was Charlie, you know, from Charlie's Angels. Charlie's Angels. And I nicknamed my partner Bosley just as a joke. So then it was like, oh, oh, Angel and Bosley are, are headed out to go and do their job. So that came Undercover Angel. But editor thought it would be funny if they put from Beauty Queen to SWAT Team because it had a hook. And he thought, oh, the media is going to love this. He had a point. I, I can't wait to read the book. I'm excited to read it. So thank you. But that's that's one of the books that you wrote. You wrote two other books. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong. It's two, correct? Two other books. Yes, I wrote Reinventing You, which is about reinventing in your career, helping people along the way, showing them that you don't just because you went to school for something and you did something for a little while, you find it's not your passion anymore. How to discover? Because obviously, I've reinvented over and over again. And then I started to help people with that, with a coaching business. The other book, Heart of a Military Woman, is I, I was a contributor to that book. So there are two military women who put that book together and then had other military women contribute to it. Awesome. I'm going to make sure that we include links to all three books in Thank the you. bio section of this podcast uh, so everybody can, can get a hold of them if Thank they you. want to. Um, now... All the, your, your police experience and law enforcement experience, it's going to lead me to the next subject. And it's going to be a little bit more of a serious subject. Um, and everything that's going on today with um, everything that happened with George Floyd and, and police uh, discrimination and, and, and the racial issues and everything that's happening. And uh, I want to talk to you about that and get your point of view as an ex-law enforcement officer. Um, sure. So it, it's, let's start with a general question. What are your thoughts about the role of police and how it's being portrayed by not just the media, but the general public? So my, my opinion on this is that uh, it's, it's extremely, it's unfair right now because the level of police misconduct, everything is, is documented along the way. Police officers are reprimanded for uh, doing things that are wrong. They have records of that. Sometimes the reprimand isn't commiserate with what they had done, and that's the unfortunate part of it, but the misconduct is overstated in the media. When you look statistically, 
there are 250 million law enforcement type of uh, transactions that happen across the country. And then when you start coming down to police shootings or police brutality, that percentage gets lower and lower. So you're looking at possibly in, in the ballpark of between 25 to 35 shootings that become questionable because some of them are unarmed. And out of those of unarmed people who are killed by police officers, you're bringing that down to possibly five. And then when you look at those cases and police brutality, you know, I'm talking about shootings right now, the percent is small when you're looking at the entire lot of the actual um, interactions that police have across the nation in all agencies and federal agencies and local municipalities and county and uh, state. So it's unfortunate because we know what media does and there, there is definitely a bias toward that. That's not to say the George Floyd case, um, my belief is having your knee on a neck of a cuffed man who is saying he cannot breathe for eight and a half minutes is an atrocity, complete atrocity. And the fact that it was videotaped to me is amazing because when I was a police officer, we had cameras in our car. We didn't have them body cams. And I was a huge advocate for that because that keeps people honest. It keeps them, you know, it prevents them from doing the wrong thing. But yet still, some still do the wrong thing when they have audio and video. And those are the police officers that you want to wean out. Those are the police officers you want to fire. Everybody doesn't go into the job with the same kind of uh, moral veracity of, I want to go and do this job and do the right thing. I want to help people. Everybody doesn't do that. Some look at it as a meal ticket. Some people look at it as a means to support the family. Some say, you know what, if I do that, I can do my eight hour shift and I could skate and get a side job doing security, what have you. And then there's a huge percentage that go in because they want to make a difference and they want to rise in the career and maybe be a detective and police officer, a SWAT team or the chief one day, or go to a federal agency and do a cross chip train and a reinvention. But there are bad apples as there are in any employment out there. Doctors, you know, who have malpractice lawsuits and are addicted to drugs and, you know, the list goes on and on, abuse patients sexually. The amount is so small and having it hyped this way is, is, is horrible. It's horrible for the morale of police officers across the nation. Now, that, that brings mind two questions. And one of them was earlier when you were talking and, and one of them was at the very end. The first question is, so we agree that, um, I, I think everybody agrees that what happened to George Floyd was unacceptable. The officers should be punished according to the law and they, yes. should, they should pay for their crimes because what they did was a crime. Yes. Uh, however, the way that the media is portraying all police officers or all law enforcement in general is not fair, correct? Right, because they're like, oh, but in this big bucket, yeah. everybody, if you, one person does this, everybody does that. It's, 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 it's the worst stereotype that you can possibly do. And more and more, what I'm seeing with LinkedIn and social media and that sort of thing, you see kind of these little tiny videos of police officers saving lives, catching babies out of a building. You know, the list goes on and on. They're just, they're, there's not enough of those stories because those stories are not what the media wants. The media wants the worst of the worst, unfortunately, because it sells. Right, uh, right, that's true. Now, the other question that came to mind is, because of what's happening and how police are being unfairly portrayed on the media, right. uh, according to 
to, to what we were talking about. Do you think there's going to be a repercussion where less people are going to want to join the force or the current officer is going to want to uh, leave the force? Yes, there's, there's an article that I read today, as a matter of fact, where there was a huge exodus. New York City alone, New York City alone, 411%. The, it sky, the, the ratio had skyrocketed to officers going in for retirement and early retirement. Wow. 411%. So that is the, the feeling right now. If you could put you know, your hand on the pulse of what's happening to police officers feeling just you know, so dejected. And so, you know, just, just their careers are spent doing the right thing. And then you have a few bad apples that are out there that have, you know, destroyed that for them. So as far as new recruits coming in, yes, yes, I, I definitely see that that's going to be a huge downturn. Do you think in the wrong, long run, um, because there's going to be a downturn in recruit, the quality of the officers is also going to be uh, less than it should be because you're not going to you're not, not necessarily going to have the best of the best. And that's what happens. You're, you are 100% correct. So will they still go through the psychological exam, the physical agility and all of that? Yes. You know, do, you can't have a felony. You can have a misdemeanor, that sort of thing. There's an age parameter. All those will still be in place. But when a police officer actually gets on the job, that's my concern is this. When you're trying to weed out during their field training program where they're with another police officer learning the ropes, under another police officer, will things be overlooked because they're so desperate to have a body to fulfill that spot? Will a sergeant or somebody in charge say, you know what, yeah, they screwed up and maybe they would have been fired, but we need the body. So yes, I do see that happening. So in fact, one could argue that if that does happen, what everybody's protesting to stop might occur even more as a result of not having the quality. Yes. Now the problem's exacerbated. Right, right. So I'm in, I'm in LA, the city of LA. So we have the LAPD, and then within the county of LA, we have the sheriffs, and then we have other cities like Beverly Hills PD, Santa Monica PD, all these other things. Now, some police departments require only a high school diploma. Some police departments require a bachelor's degree. Do you think yeah. that there should be a requirement of a bachelor's degree for all police officers, or do you think it should be left to the departments the way they are now? Uh, I would say it should be left to the departments because I needed to have an associate's degree when I became a police officer. So just a two year in any field, it didn't have to be criminal justice. It might happen to be that. And then later on, I got my bachelor's. Later on, I got my master's because I wanted to pursue my police career as far as I can go. So the training that I think that we're remiss in is the psychology training in dealing with people, the communication with people, building rapport with people, because I've seen police officers get on the job because they want to get out there and be John Wayne, badge gun, and get out there and bring their attitude with it and arrest people and take away rights and abuse their power. I've witnessed this as a police officer. Again, a small percent. And a lot of those are weaned out during their field training because they start to show their colors with that kind of uh, hard edge attitude. I've right. witnessed this. So I think if anything, psychology, building rapport with community, having that communication, having the communication skills to not incite something that doesn't need to be incited. And right. I've on cases where I've been handling something and I've had a backup come in 
and make it bigger than what it needed to be. A couple of weeks before the unfortunate George Floyd incident happened, I had an ex-police officer on an episode and he would help people who wanted to enter law enforcement. Um, uh, he would help them. Um, but we were talking about this uh, and George Floyd hadn't happened yet. And we were talking about how an example is when you're a child or when your kid does something bad, some parents say, stop doing that or I'll call the police and they'll come take you to jail. Right. But I honestly think that's not positive. And there's many reasons, but the main reason is I think you're installing a fear of police into the young kid's brain. So when he grows up, he's going to be in fear of the police. Um, so I think education is not just teaching the police on how to interact with the people. I think we need to teach our children and, and the people how to interact with police at the same time. What are your thoughts on that? Well, I've had that happen when I was a police officer. I would show up and they would grab their kids and say, she's going to arrest you. And I'm like, no, 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 because police have to teach the kids that you want to be able to have interactions with police that are good. You want them, you want them to report things to you that they see and not be fearful of calling 911. The idea is to encourage them to call police to get help when they see something that looks you know, a little dangerous or it looks suspicious. We want that. We want the public to come to us and feel safe in doing so. So those programs had been around for a while with community policing, with having the parents come and teach the kids and DARE programs. And when I was a kid, there was officer friendly who would come to the school and school resource officers so that you can see that they're human just because they have a gun and a badge and the uniform, which can be intimidating. How do we have that interaction with the children to show them that the police are there for them and to help them? So it is Part of the training is the parents, and then when the police go out there, they need to be proactive when they catch parents doing that behavior. No, 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 that's not all police do. Right. And you've seen videos of police officers showing up where there's, there's a noise complaint because kids are playing basketball, and they get out there and they play with them for a bit, and they're like, okay, we got to shut it down. You know, it's not like, oh, show up, and I'm big and bad, and I'm going to take away all your fun. It's not that. It's the report, and that goes back to the psychology training with communication say that this is not just because I have this uniform on, I'm still approachable. I understand what you're doing. I've, I've gone to Halloween parties where everybody's come on in the backyard and hang out with us, you know, and it's a loud party complaint. And I did, I went out and hung out and grabbed a hot dog for a minute. And I said, okay, guys, we got to do this. You know, people are drunk, but there's a way to build rapport. Right. So there's this other thing going around, defund the police and, and different people interpret it different ways. Some people say just no police force. Some people say no, defunding the police doesn't mean that. It means take away uh, their budget or some of their budget because they have so much. Um, but if we take away the police force's budget, now I understand that some of the budget that they're talking about, they're talking about, you know, police are buying military equipment or things like that. But if we, defund the police and take away their budgets, aren't we taking away the budget for these community programs that actually teaches the community and, and brings the community and the police together? Um, right. So defunding from, from my understanding and all of that is taking away certain things like uh, school, school resource officers, 
taking the police away from doing the jobs with working with the homeless and walking the beat and trying to find resources for that. So you've got different programs right now where I feel there are people who are better equipped to do that. So taking money away from equipment, I haven't seen that part of it. The problem with the whole defunding though is what you're looking at is taxation by citation. You start taking away from budgets, now there may be more traffic tickets because that brings revenue into the city. And that's the last thing that people want because they'll be forced, their hands are gonna be tied and they'll be forced to go out there and enforce more traffic laws and citations. And that's the last thing people want. So I do agree, there are things that you can take away funding and allow more equipped organizations and private organizations to work with the homeless, uh, work in the different school programs, um, and whatever else that they're referring to in the, in the defunding. But as far as equipment, you know, I know I was on SWAT. I, I loved my equipment. I loved the safety that it brought me. I loved the options that I had from, you know, the rubber bullets to throwing out, you know, canisters of smoke screen and, you know, what we needed to storm houses and, and that sort. What, I know you mentioned this before, you, you were an advocate of having uh, body cameras. They didn't have them back then, but you're an advocate of it. Do you believe that every police force in the United States should have body cameras? Yes, yes, I do, I do. It protects everybody. You know, as a lawyer, it protects everyone. It protects the citizen, it protects the police officer from false accusations. I had one accusation against me, completely false accusation. And I just thought, oh my God, you know, I wish we had dash cams and that was good for DUIs and pulling them over, um, you know, but we didn't have audio at that, t- at that point. And I just thought I was just so incensed at a false accusation against me because I consider myself the model police officer, right. it was just so frustrating. So yes, I believe that's going to keep everybody honest. I agree with you. Uh, in fact, one of the first things that when we get a case, um, we see what police department or what law enforcement department is involved because we know which ones do have body cams and which ones don't. And then that's one of the first things that we want is the body cam footage. Right. I agree there with you. There are some small departments, obviously, that is just a funding issue. They only have so much to, to pay the officers and take care of healthcare and take care of the facility and the police vehicles. And that's like an, an, another huge expense. Some don't have canines, you know, so it's just a matter of, you know, getting the funding for those type things. And that's just going to help everybody all the way around. So with everything that's happening, um, I know there's no simple answer. And I don't want to ask, how do we fix it? Because honestly, I don't think anybody knows. My question is, what do we do to stop uh, this, this pendulum swinging in the way of, of people not wanting to join the, the, the force right. and and because of it, we're going to have the lack of quality of officers that we should. How do we, how do we reverse this? Well, one thing I've learned with new cycles, things come and go. We're talking about this right now. We talked about this four years ago. It just, it kind of, it's an ebb and flow. So it's the hot thing and then it's not the hot thing anymore. And people start to get used to like, okay, that's not, but yeah, I'm going to join the police department. Yes, it's a good idea, et cetera. So I just feel that with time. Um, The only thing I think, you know, media, obviously we don't have control over the media, but 
good police officers that are out there continue just to, to share, share their stories on how much they love their job, how much they love helping the community, why they chose that, that, that as a career, and highlighting some of the phenomenal things that police officers do to help their, their citizens and their communities. Right, right. Yeah, like you said before, and I know people are saying, yeah, there's bad apples and everything, but this is different. But it's true, there's, there's bad lawyers, there's bad doctors, so. Yeah, it's, it just one it good thing is there has been some legislation that was passed as far as police officers leaving agencies and going to other agencies because of being disciplined, and they show up there and records are not sent with them of their past bad deeds. Right. So now that legislation is that this is going to follow you, and hopefully you're not able to apply somewhere else based on that because now they're going to be able to have access to all of your prior police records. And internal affairs, I think, is so important. A lot of times, you know, because there is corruption in some places and some departments and some individuals, that things are brushed under the rug. So yeah. these are the things that need to be addressed. I, what agree. Are the I agree with you. Right at the top of internal affairs, why did you let this, the George Floyd case, they talked about how many reports of abuses that this police officer had along the way. How did he still have a job after the second abuse? You know, so it's just that to me is so perplexing that this guy wasn't fired immediately. Why is it so hard to fire them? Who's his buddy up the food chain? Get rid of them, take them out. Right, I agree with you 100%. That happens in this jurisdiction a lot where officer leaves one department, goes to another city, a smaller force because of what happened in his prior position, but his record doesn't follow him. And then right. in California, there recently, there's been more push uh, for, for uh, lawyers uh, to get the, the officers' uh, records record. more right. easily. Yes, we have to file a motion. It has to be reviewed in camera. It shouldn't good. be that hard. Like, it's so hard. But that, yeah, I agree with you. I agree. Now, let's move a little bit to another um, rosier subject. Okay. Uh, uh, yeah, I know how we were talking about how do we change this and we talked about this. So that, that leads me to my next question I have for you. Uh, let's talk about a little bit about your, your, your other book, Reinventing You, where you said you wrote this book to help people who are sort of like needed a push in, in the right direction in their, in their career, I believe, or in whatever they want to do. People who become stagnant. So they go to college, they get into the job field and all of a sudden they're like, wow, I really don't like this and they don't know what to do. They don't know how to figure out what's my passion, what am I meant to do? Everybody has an assumption that you're supposed to know when you graduate, and that's the trickiest part. Some do internships, they end up somewhere, and then they feel an obligation to parents, whoever funded their college, if they've got student loans and debt, I'm supposed to do this, and then they're stuck in a career that they realize it's not meant for them. So Reinventing You is a book where I walk people through an entire process of discovering some of their desires, if you, what's the thing that gets you out of bed every single day that makes you feel excited and start to think about that. Don't think about it in the career sense. Think about it in, you know, maybe it's an adventure. Maybe it's travel. Maybe it's doing, um, you know, it's skydiving, whatever it is. How do you build a career in that thing that you love? If you had all the money in the world right now, what would you do every day? A lot of people are like, I ditched the job for sure. <laughs> but then what? What inspired you to write that book? Was that, was that something you went through yourself or? Yes, yes. 
So when I joined the military, I didn't join the military for means to an end, get an education. Didn't know what I was going to do with that education once I did that. Then it was just like kind of, I did things by default. Let me take a criminal justice. I was interested in the psychology of serial killers because I grew up in the Chicago area and we had John Wayne Gacy when I was a kid. And he was notorious for um, sexually abusing young men, killing them and burying, burying them under his home. So, and he was a clown and he was in politics. He was a public figure. And it's like, how did that happen? I was scared to death growing up that I was gonna be kidnapped by John White Gacy and killed and put under his house. <laughs> so later on years, I was, I was just interested in that. I wouldn't call it a passion, but I just like, why do serial killers do what they do? What's the psychology of it? So yeah. by default, finding that one thing, I was like, well, that led me to this, that led me to that. So I help people with that. I had, I had done uh, coaching for almost a decade with people who were just looking to reinvent in their careers, find out what their mission was, what their, their, their destiny, what they were designed to do, what would they love, and get them on that path. That's awesome. That's great. I see there's a copy of the book behind you, actually. Yes. And that's your badge, right? Your badge is right there. It is. Awesome. <laughs> that's great. Um, I would love to keep you on here for hours and keep picking your brains, but I know you're a very busy woman. I appreciate you for being on. Um, Thank you. I, I'm going to make sure that everybody has, uh, uh, we're going to include links for all the listeners and the viewers. We're going to, if you, if you click on the links, you can actually get a hold of Lisa uh, throughout all her media, uh, um, on her social media, on her website, and you can purchase any of her books. Lisa, it was a pleasure having you on. Um, Thank I you, Rosh. you again, and uh, you have a great day. I appreciate it. Goodbye, everybody.